You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Invite Mike up. He's uh, sharing with us this morning. Next in his series on the uh, attributes of God. So to join me in praying for him. Father, thank you for the word you put on Mike's heart. Thank you for the way you're opening up your scriptures to him to reveal truth about you. We pray, Lord, this morning as Mike speaks that it won't be him, but it'll be your Holy Spirit speaking your words of truth to us. Lord, we open our hearts, we open our ears, we open our minds to hear truth this morning. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work these truths deep into our hearts. Lord, we pray that they will be foundational truths that cause us to stand firm, to stand strong on the rock of Jesus Christ and on the rock of your word. And Lord, that cause us to look to you with greater awe, wonder, um, amazement at who you are and the work you have done. So, Father, would you use Mike this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Thanks, Ian. Um, like Ian said, I'm going to continue the series that we're doing at the moment on the attributes of God. Um, we're going to move on to the next one. Um, just before we dive into it, I've said this before we start every single attribute, but the reason I want to do this is so we can grow an understanding of God and grow in turn, grow a deeper relationship and um, and be able to worship our God in a deeper level. Because we can only worship God to the level of our understanding of Him. So the deeper we know Him, the deeper we can go into relationship with Him. So just as a reminder, just in case you missed a few weeks, we've gone through God's unfailing love so far. We've gone through that God never changes and in turn His Word never changes. So everything from His Word is true as God can't lie. If if you missed out so far in the series, um, they've all been recorded. Um, so if you want to catch up on one of them, jump onto the City Edge podcast and um, have a listen whenever you like. So that that brings me in today. So today we're going to sort of dive into a mini-series inside a series. We're actually going to dive into the omnis of God. And what do I mean by the omnis? So God, um, God has three of these. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscience. Sorry, I mispronounced them. But what means God is all-knowing, He is all-powerful, and He is everywhere. That's the one. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> So the word omni, before the, all these, is actually a Latin word, and the word actually stands for all. So as we dive in, we're going to grow an understanding of God's omnis, but it really shows that God is all in all these areas. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. All he is all everywhere. So trying to work out um, what omni to start with, all week I've been thinking about it. I couldn't quite work it out. couldn't put my finger on it. Um, but we actually started talking about omnipresence on Wednesday night at home group, and it actually led into a great time of prayer and discussion. So I feel that God was sort of just pushing us in this way. So we're going to go for it today, and we're going to really focus on it and, and see what it actually means about God's omnipresence. As everywhere we look in the 
earth today, there is not a single example of omnipresent around us. If you really think God is the only thing in creation that is physically able to be everywhere in full at the same time. For many of us, we love the idea that we could be omnipresent as humans. We'd love to try and mirror this. We'd love to try think, I can do this and that and that. But in reality, we can't. We don't have the physical ability to be able to be in different places in full at different times. For example, um, many people have tried to prove that they're omnipresent. There's a, there's a place in America where four states meet into the one point. They're the states of Arizona, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Utah. Many people, please don't go home and Google um, what people do across these states because it comes up with all sorts of weird stuff. Um, but many people to get photos with their leg in one state, the leg in the other, and two arms in two other states. They're saying they're in four places at once. What They create the illusion that they're able to be omnipresent. But if you really look into this, what they're actually doing, it is just an illusion because they... They are still in the one spot at the one time, but if you look at it, they actually spread themselves thin to be able to be in those four places at once. One leg is in one area, the other leg is the other, the arm is in the other, the other arm is in the other. They are not fully present in any one of those states at the full time. So unlike God, God who has the ability to be everywhere all at once, he's in every time period, every place the fullest of his power, strength, glory, holiness, and love. There is nothing lacking in God, but he is everywhere. The other, Ian sent me a great podcast yesterday, what was amazing about his omnipresence. It's just a short podcast that helps describe things, but it really helped me a bit because I was struggling to describe some of these things. Um, humans, we, we love the idea of being able to be omnipresent. We even attempt things like driving, he, the guy on the podcast used this, like driving while trying to text. We, we think we're doing two things at once. We think we have that ability, but actually it's just our brain constantly switching really quickly between those two objects. We can't fully focus on more than one thing at a time. We just quickly change between the two. We, we lack in the power to be omnipresent, but with our God, he does not. So it's, it's all good that I tell you that God is omnipresent. We can all go home now. That's the end of my preach. I'm done. Thanks for listening. But that's, that's, that's not what this is about. We've got to really look into the word and actually prove the point that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere and full of power. So we're, we're going to jump into the next part. Um, I'm going to fire off a few scriptures pretty quickly and then we're going to slowly get there and then at the end I'm going to just try to combine it. So we'll see how this goes. So the first scripture we're going to look at is is 1 Kings 22.19. What says, um, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. Then if we go to Isaiah 6, 1-3. In the year of King... Oh, sorry, I'm missing half it. He's a died. I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood six seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, with two covered his face. Two he covered his feet. Two he flew. And one called to the another one and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if we go to Ecclesiastes 5.2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter words before God. For God is in heaven. And you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. 
So just to point out, this is three verses. I'm just going to, we're going to go through the word to see where the word, what the word says and where God actually lives and where he is to actually prove this omnipresence. So in these three verses, I just want to focus on that they state that God is in heaven. He is on the throne. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted above the earth. Um, and then, then we're going to go to Revelation 4. We're actually going to read the whole chapter because it's it's a pretty amazing chapter. But um, it says, After this, I look and, beho- and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven with the one seated on the throne. And he sat there and had the appearance of Jasper and Carlin, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne was 24, uh, 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and pearls of thunder, and before the throne, the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, four eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like an iron, uh, like a lion, not an iron, but like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, like a face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them six wings and full of eyes all around, all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive the glory and honour, the power, for you created all things. By your by your will they exist and were created. So as we read this chapter, John is writing down what he has seen in his vision. He was taken in spirit to the throne room of God. This gives us a great impression of what the throne room of God actually looks like. The chapter gives a great description of what is happening in that throne room and... Um, and um, just the praise and the glory that God deserves. So it's exciting for us because as humans, in our sinful state, we can only experience a part of God's amazing glory and presence. But in this chapter, it gives us great insight to what it's fully like to be in front of the presence of God. As we see, it states in verse 10, that God is on the throne. It gives us great insight of God's glory and how holy he is. And as it says, the four living creatures, night and day, would never see, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And every time that was said, so day and night, every single time, the elders would bow down, cast their crowns, and worship God on the throne. God is in a place of authority and just worship. Just in this chapter, we can see God, God in a few of his attributes, like he is never changing. We see he is, he is and who was and who is to come. We also see insight on how amazing God is and and how much, um, how glorious our God is, sitting on a throne, positioned high above. There's so much that you could actually preach on this chapter. It gives you great insight into just, just the wonders that we're in for when we eventually get there. 
Um, but for now, I just want to focus that how it states that God is on the throne in heaven. As the Bible states, his throne is high above all. So saying that, we have the first area where the Bible actually states where God is. He's in the highest of heights. God is in the heaven. He sits on the throne and rules. So we have established that God is in heaven and God is the God of heaven. But then we come to the next bit of the word. If we go to Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, I am the God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I can't see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? Now if we go to Matthew 28, 20. Jeremiah 23 to 24. 23, 23 to 24. Sorry. Yeah. And then if we go to Matthew 28:20, 20, if you remember, we covered this last time in, in God's great commission and how that commission's unchanging in our lives. But in this, he states, um, oh, I probably should have read the whole thing. That's all right. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then we, we get to a well-known psalm. Of, I'm sure we all know this, of Psalm 23. Everyone loves this. Everyone gets great comfort out of this psalm. As it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So just these three scriptures, there's, there's many more of scriptures that God is with us and he is for us. Um, but as we read, we kind of come to a, the Bible contradicting itself a bit here. As we've just read that God is the God of heaven, he's in heaven, but in these scriptures it's stating that he's near to us, he's on the earth, he's guarding us, he's leading us, he's watching over us, He's with us always. So we come to a decision. Um, so now we've got the word saying he's in heaven, but yet he's also close and really near to us. I don't know about you, but if God was just in heaven, it'd be really hard to follow him. It'd be really hard for him to look after us and guard us because he's obviously high above. It's like, it's hard enough for us to follow a nav man in a different city on Google Maps. And that's right in front of us, let alone if God was millions miles away in heaven and that's where he only was. So we come to a bit of a crossroads with what the Bible saying. We need to make a decision on whether we're going to take this as a literal understanding of what we can see in the earthly view or we trust the word of God that we know is true and, um, and doesn't fail. So the word is leading us to believe that God is in more locations than the one place. Well, as humans, as we worked out before, we love the idea, but we can't fully grasp this. Um, we need to forget trying to work, look at this in a human logical way and start just believing and have faith in what the Bible says. As it states that our God is an omnipresent God. He's fully in heaven, but at the same time, he's fully with us as well. So as we know, the word of God is unchanging. It's full of life and it is truth. It leads us down the right paths. It is a lamp to our feet. It leads us to believe that God is an omni-God and we need to believe that because his word is true. That brings life. The only way we can fully grasp the omnipresence of God 
is through the word and in that relationship with God and in that truth. We see in Isaiah 57, 15, it says, For thus says the one who sits on high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and I also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Just in that, he's stating that he's high, but yet he's with the lowest, with the lowly. He dwells in heaven, which is the highest of heights, and yet he dwells with those at the lowest of lows. He is a God who watches over us. He comes down and dwells with us. We are surrounded by him. He's above us and he's below us. He's to the left, to the right, to the front and behind us. You are physically surrounded by the presence of God. If we are surrounded by God, who... We should not fear, no matter what we face in life. Because eventually that fear has to be met by God at some point, if we are surrounded by the Most High. And when God is present, we learn that anything is possible for Him. For, if God is for us, who can be against us? One plus God still equals the majority. There is nothing that can overpower God or catch God by surprise. As we read in these scriptures, the Bible declares that the Lord is with us and he is close to us. He's not far. He's with us all in all situations and he leads us through life and he's near. So we've established God is the God of the highest of heights. At the same time, he's near to us and he will never leave us. He's also in the lowest of lows. According to his word, he is far from us, but near to us. He reigns on his throne where he's high and lifted up, and yet he's still with us through life. He's still in the trenches, fighting through life with us, never leaving us. Through the valley of the shadow of death, he leads us. So I stated before, omni, omni means all. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 6. It says, One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. As we see in Ephesians, this is another proof of his omnipresence. And to back that up, he is um, over all, he is in the highest of heights, he is through all and in all. He's dwelling near us and with us and he's actually living inside us as well. But it gives us great confidence in God that we're never alone in life. As we see, God is on the throne reigning, he's a perfect plan, he's watching over our lives as a perfect plan for our lives, but that's not where our God ends. He actually comes down and walks out that, that plan with us. He comes and leads the way. We don't have to do it by our strength as God is right next to us. He gives us that strength, that, that desire. Um, God will never leave you alone in the plan. He never gives you anything that you can't handle. He is always present. And, could, and being always present, he is always to the fullest of his ability. He's never spread thin like we can be. You know, all those early mornings that we have as humans, we, we can be in a place, but we're not physically there. We're not physically working at the best that we could be. But that's not God. God is always in every place, in every time, in every present, full of power and authority. So take confidence in the omnipresent God as he is watching over us, he is in control, he has made the plan and he is walking that plan out with us. He guides us, he protects us and he watches over us for those who are born again through him. 
So we have established that God is an omnipresent God. He is a God that is everywhere. And we have established that He is in heaven on the throne. He is also near with us. Um, but there's also another place where God dwells. If God is a God that is everywhere, then that means He is in hell as well. So, as there's not a single place of creation where God does not dwell, if we go to Revelation 14.10, it says, He also drinks the wine of God's wrath, poured full of strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So this is stating that God, who is everywhere, so he's also in hell, what makes sense being omnipresent and there's not a single part of creation that he's not. Um, sorry, just cover that. But I know there's a common mis- um A lot of people believe that God is not in, he- in hell. Um, that hell is a place of being separated from God. And that's the punishment that you get if you go to hell. But that's not entirely... We need to look at the scriptures to see what it really says about God. As this, as this verse from Revelation talks about the unbeliever will drink from the wine of God's wrath and states that it will be in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb himself. So getting back to the phrase of if you go to hell, the Lord won't be there, we need to go to 2 Thessalonians 1.9 where this comes from. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the, and from the glory and his might. So we look at this and it looks like the two are contradicting itself. That how can Jesus be in hell but yet this states that we're away from God's presence? Um, so to truly understand this, we need to go back to how it was written in Greek originally. To make sense of this, the Greek word for the word presence there actually means away from the eye of the Lord. So the lamb's presence, the lamb will be there, but his face will be turned away from those. His love and grace and mercy will not be there for those people there who reject Christ. They will suffer under God's wrath. Um, and the people that were there will wish that they were absent from the God's presence. There is no hiding from the presence of God. He is in all places. As you can see, hell will be a horrible and fearful thing, which teaches us that our sin is a horrible and fearful thing as well. And those who deny God, his wrath will be fearful and horrible. But it also drives us to the need to live out the Great Commission. It drives us to really check our hearts and know where we stand. For there is a victory won that means we don't have to go to this place. God is an omnipresent, he is omnipresent. He is in the highest of heights in heaven. He's all around us and near us on the earth. He's also in the lowest of lows in hell. There is no escaping and there is no hiding from our God. So looking at all that we have covered, we see that God is everywhere, the highest to the lowest and everywhere in between. What brings us to the truth that no matter how much we try and deny it, no matter how much we don't feel that God is there, he is. What brings great comfort to our lives, it also brings conviction to our lives where we stand. As we see the scripture that he is everywhere, everywhere in the fullest, there is no escaping God. So I've, I've got a young nephew. Um, I know a lot of you instantly think it's Charlie, but it's on Sarah's side. So um, 
I've got a nephew called Henson. When he was younger, he used to love, absolutely love playing hide and seek. I adored it. Whenever he got there, he was roped in for about four hours. It was great fun. But um, when he was younger, he used to think he was the best at hide and seek ever. He used to think he was amazing at it and no one could ever see him. So he'd, I'll count, he'd run off, go hide. You walk into the room, this amazing little hider that's hiding perfectly away from me. You walk into the room and you see a leg sticking out of the couch, an arm coming out of the cupboard, or even sometimes a whole body with a cushion on his head. So, of course, at the end of the day, reality, I could see him clear as day. But just wait. When it got to his turn to count and come and seek you, every single time he knew exactly where I was. The main reason was he would follow you with his eyes open until he worked out exactly where you were. At every stage of that game of hide-and-seek, he knew where I was. He never took his eyes off me. Sorry, I just got off my notes. I know that something deep down inside us thinks that we can hide things from an omni-god. But as we're going to learn, all the omnis sort of merge together. It's really hard to separate them. So there's going to be a bit of mutual match here. But the omni-god is all-present, and in that, he is all-knowing. So if we try and cover up our sin, it's like us trying to hide underneath a cushion in front of God. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly where our hearts are. But we're not the only ones to do this. We see it happen in the Bible. In Genesis 3, 8 to 10, is the first instance of us trying to hide our shame and trying to hide away from God. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So all this is coming through sin, trying to hide from God. So Adam and Eve try and hide from God. And we see God's response here. He asks in a statement, where are you? But like when my nephew hides underneath a cushion, it's just a statement. God knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what our heart's conditions are. He knows exactly what we've done. So in this way, you could probably imagine God just walking through the garden and um, knowing exactly what's going on and just thinking, come on guys, you've, you've just eaten from the tree of life and yet somehow you try to hide yourself behind a tree. Standing there with a leaf over their face or something like that. We can't hide from a God. Thinking we can hide from God's presence and Him not knowing is us running from something that we can't escape from. It's useless. It's pointless. To even attempt, for some reason, for some reason, we think that we can run and hide things from an omni God who knows all and sees all. We see people in the Bible constantly trying to run and hide from God. Jonah, for example. We see there is no hiding from an omni God. We need to realize that this is, that we can't hide from God. He is everything in the fullest in all situations. If He is truly everywhere, what His word states He is, we need to believe that. We need to understand that we can't hide. We can't hide our hearts. We can't hide our sin. We need to stop trying to hide from God that already knows the condition of your heart and go from hiding to confessing and taking comfort in Him. We need to allow God to change our hearts from a heart of shame to wanting to hide our heart 
to a heart that we want to live and expose for Christ. Only God can change our hearts. There's nothing he doesn't already know or seen. We need to run to him instead of hiding from him. As running is pointless, as we've discovered, there's no escaping God's presence. It's like my nephew playing rig, tide and seek. He knows exactly where you are at the exact time and knows exactly what you're trying to hide. Once again, we see the attributes of God often go hand in hand. Once again, as we spoke about last time, God won't change. We're the ones that need to change. We're the ones that need to make the decision that we're not going to hide from God, but we're going to run to him and start seeking him. And through this, I hope you guys realize that seeking God is not hard. It's literally, he is right there. He's near to you. He's close to you. He's not hiding. The condition of your heart is not a game to him. So God is not hard to find. He is everywhere. We don't need to do something special. We just need to open our eyes and see God. Just as much as we gain confidence in this, that God is above all and that he is right there beside us, it also comes with a warning that there is no escaping God, as we can see in the garden. We find ourselves in this series that the attributes are true and through the word we know they're true. So we need to check our hearts and make sure that we're born again. I know I might sound a bit like a broken record, I'm preaching to the choir, but really check your hearts, make sure that you're on the right side. Because as we discover that God is everywhere, there's no escaping. You're going to be with God either for the good or for the reason that you want to try and hide and be away. For if God is not on your side, he's against you. As we looked at, as we looked before, God is in all places. There's no escaping from his sight. He's full in every place and every time. That means God is in hell as well as... We may want, yeah, sorry, don't worry about that bit. Please don't take this when I'm trying to scare you. It's not a scare tactic. It's just the truth of the word that hopefully will bring you think about. Make sure you are born again. Make sure you are on the right side of God. Make sure that he is for you and he is near to you. But in saying that, God on our side, take heart as you're on the winning side when you are born again. He's high and lifted up. He's watching over you as we read. He's close to you. He's guarding you. He's leading you. He won't leave you through that plan. As you may have caught on already during this series, I've sort of been explaining the attribute a bit and then trying to go and look into how it affects us and in our lives. So in closing, I'm just going to fire off a few numbers of what God's omnipresence looks like in our lives and how it should affect us. So number one, we should gain courage, gain courage and confidence in God that he, is, that he not only has the perfect plan for your life, but he's watching over us and he's walking that plan out with you. He's leading you down that path. He's fighting in the trenches with you, but yet he's above you watching over you. He's on every side of you. God who watches over you comes down and dwells with us. He, he surrounds us. Just remember that when you're going through a hard time, that you are surrounded by the God of the Most High. That one plus God is the majority. What can possibly be against God if God is for you? He's at your left, he's at your right, he's at your front, he's behind you, and he's below and above you. You are surrounded by the presence of the Most High. Nothing will ever surprise him. He is there in every situation, at every time and place in history, God is there to the full. 
There's no time that God is spread thin. There's no time that God can't help you. There's no time where he lacks in the resource to come and help you. We should gain confidence in God's amazing plan for salvation through this as well. He came to earth without sacrificing his omnipresence. He came and lived as a human. Jesus came down from heaven. He lived as man and God. He died a brutal death for you and he loves you. As we can see in God's omnipresence, if God did not love you, he could have been at any place of that time in history other than that cross. But he chose to stay on that cross to save you. He had the full power, full authority to take himself down from that cross. Even when people mocked him, say, come down and we'll believe you, he did not because he knew the importance of the sacrifice to be able to save us. He sacrificed for us. He atoned for us. Our sins are forgiven and he tore the veil that was keeping us from God. Through death and atonement, he broke the barrier that was keeping us from God. Through his love, he stayed on that cross and he saved us. Through his love, he could have come down. He could have been anywhere. He could have removed himself from that situation, but he didn't because he loves you. He stayed for me. He stayed for you. He stayed for all of us. Christ died on that cross. He endured hell for his people so that that we wouldn't have to go through it and we could be with him. As Christians, this should be the most precious event in history. As is the world of good news, it means that we can live with him in his presence in heaven and not in the latter stages of being in hell with him and suffering his wrath. So number two, in the same way, we should be encouraged that he is always with us. He is everywhere. He is everywhere. It should also bring conviction to our lives in a way of making sure that we are born again by checking our hearts, being sure that we are truly born again in God. Because as we looked at, God is everywhere, includes hell. So where do you stand? The Bible is clear that we must be born again. We must know him. Don't try and hide your heart from a God that already knows the condition of your heart. When we are born again, it should bring conviction in the way that we approach our lives. As we are saved through Christ, it should drive us to live a life that glorify Him. The fact that God is omnipresent is a realisation there is nothing that we can hide from God. He is always watching over us. So this next example might be a bit childish and I'm going to give, but it gives a bit of a pretty good point. So I I know some kids grew up with Santa, some kids didn't, but if you did, um, your parents used to tell you that to make you live a better life. Um, there's a secular Christmas song that goes, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you're being bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Sorry if I've just lost half the people by quoting a secular Christmas song in a preach, but just bear with me, there is a point here. As many, as many parents tell their kids about Santa to make their kids behave, to be good at the risk of not getting Christmas presents, how much more as Christians do we need to recognise that God's omnipresence for our lives is truth? That's truth, unlike the, the Santa Claus situation. But um, how much as Christians should we recognise that God is that omnipresent God, that he's watching over our lives, that he's with us? Um, just like kids will change their behaviour for something that is fake to gain a reward, how much more should we be driven by the truth to want to live the knowledge that our Father is always watching us? And how much more should we strive for the good news for Jesus and allow God to be glorified through our lives? 
As we know the outcome for people who believe, believe and who don't believe, and God is in both situations, we need to share the good news before it's too late. We need to live for him. Shouldn't that, shouldn't that not drive us to want to live a life to the best of our ability for God, for the God who sacrificed it all to save us? It should drive us to want to sacrifice what we think of our earthly life and give away our sinful desire. So number three, just as a quick point, with a realisation that it should affect our worship of God as well and our relationship with God. As I know I've fallen into this trap a lot as well sometimes, but I find when we worship sometimes we think that God is just in heaven, that we're reaching for the heights. What he is, we do have a vertical relationship, but we can also have that horizontal relationship as he is near and he is close. We should gain the realisation that God is not far away from us, that God is right here near us, in the trenches, battling with us and showing us the way that we should go. He's leading us. So be encouraged that the God of, of the heaven is also the God of earth with you. He's leading you when you are saved and born again, but also take that as a warning. Check your heart. Make sure you are truly born again. Um, if you want any information about being born again, look up Ian's podcast on being born again because that was an amazing podcast on what it truly means to be born again. As there are consequences if you are not. As there is no escaping God's presence, you're either going to be with him in the way that you want to be with him, surrounded with him, or the other option is you want to escape his presence but you won't be able to. God knows your heart, so don't hide your heart from something that you think is hidden. God already knows. Come and chase and seek him. So in closing, take heart and courage that God is with us. I've basically just done my whole closing thing without even knowing. Um, so take courage. Christ came. He died for you. He didn't. He rose again. He's not dead. He's with you. He's leading you. Um, And he dwells with us. He's the God of high, the God of earth, and the God of low. God is everywhere. Take courage in that. Can I encourage you to check your hearts over this next week and really seek God? Um, If you like prayer for anything, feel free to, anyone will be willing to pray for you. If you like some prayer, everyone will be more than encouraged to do that. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.